Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Tara and Ryan. We have a great guest today, um, Scott Fulton, and he is the owner of Home Ideations. Um, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. But Tara, first, I, I said your name this time. I usually don't. Tara, what's going on? How are you today? Hi, it's always great to be here on a Friday with you, Ryan. This is a fun way to end the week. And now we have Scott, another one of my favorite people here with us today. So welcome, Scott. Thank you. It's great to be with both of you again. I know we meet in other forums in different places, but we don't get together on Fridays. So I think this is going to be a little bit lighter. Hopefully <laughs> we'll have a little bit of fun. Yeah, I think so. Scott and I have a standing meeting every Monday at 1030 my time. I start my, my Mondays, my week with him since he's chairman of the board of the National Aging in Place Council. So we're starting the week and ending the week together this week. <laughs> That's a good bookend. We, we, we have lots to talk about and lots to do. So it's a good, it's a good situation all around. Well, now that we all know each other, I would like to ask you, and we just talked about this, but home ideations. Now, as a big burly man, I get asked all the time why my private home care company is named Minute Women. So I'm going to pass the baton and ask you how you came up with that name and what's the thought process behind that? Sure. So um, my long and, and uh, chartered past is, uh, is tortuous, so I won't drag you all through it. Other than to say it's an engineering background and a lot of work uh, over the years around research and, and innovation. And part of that exercise is ideation, which is really a, kind of an open forum of let's remove any expectations and say, if we could do anything we wanted, how would we go about making that happen? And so um, it, with that background, we said, and I was looking at the what was going on in aging in place. I'd seen some people who who really should have done really well um, based on how they'd lived their life up to that point, or at least what I understood what they'd done looked well, um, very successful, um, had all the money they could possibly have and suddenly things went terribly sideways on them. And so, so that really started the brainstorming to say, clearly if these people are, are struggling, there's some, there's some information that's missing um, and there's probably some better ways to go at it. So that's really how it started this ideation phase of let's approach aging in place different from the start. And so my focus is really on the front end of aging in place to say like, when, even when you're still working, when you're planning to stay in your home, what do you want that to look like for the rest of you know, whatever period of time, keep the options um, in front of you and not have them slapped at you. So, so the ideation pay, uh, part really comes from the open concept, uh, open thought process, and then kind of directed at people's homes in terms of how do we, uh, how do we create some new opportunities for people that uh, they don't even realize are available to them today? I mean, that's great. That's one thing that, that it made me think about was I read an article a number of years ago, but I still think that it's very relevant, is that the um, boomer generation and maybe that generation kind of on the cusp of being a boomer retired and they all went out and they bought these McMansions down in the South and down in Florida because they wanted their dream home. And then fast forward anywhere between five and 10 years, they can't get up the stairs. They can't, this, this house is way too big for them. And um, they're having trouble selling these houses because the, the millennial generation and the Gen X generation isn't interested in a 4,000 square foot McMansion because they don't have either the money or the inclination for it. And if 
those individuals had kind of used your thought process about thinking about the future and what's going to happen post-retirement may wouldn't necessarily be in this mess that they're in of trying to unload a large house when they're trying to downsize. Yeah, it, it's a it's a common, like as human beings, we're not very good at planning our own future. It's really hard to imagine future self. It's easy to look at someone else and do it, um, you know, I've got a trained eye. I've been doing it for years, and I think we all do to some degree, but it's hard to be objective when we're looking at ourselves. Uh, we tend to think in much shorter time frames, and so that's why I think it's helpful to have someone else with you on that journey to sit down, and it's it's easy for me to look at somebody and know what their future is going to be. You know, in five years, sometimes it's, it's painfully obvious, and you, you would give different advice to someone who's, and particularly with couples, Right, where the couples have different values and different priorities and different journeys in mind um, to say, well, uh, I kind of find myself being a marriage counselor at times. Okay, so how do we make sure that both get satisfied uh, and both have you know, the options that they want in front of them? And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's really looking, even when you talk about McMansions, there are, there are attractive options for people to stay in their homes, even if they're in a multi-level home. Certainly a split level is the most difficult situation of all in later later years, but um, how do you continue to live in your whole home if really that's where you want to be because you have family nearby, all your friends are there, and you know, you've got all the other things. If all that's missing is your home, I say it's the old real estate thing, location, location, location. We can build anything anywhere, but it's no point doing the wrong thing in the wrong location. So, um, so you look at Miami as the example to say, well, I love the weather in Miami. I love, got a bunch of friends down there. Um, that's great. Um, but more people die in Miami hospital in terms of die of old age and related diseases than in any other location in the country. And the reason being is that they kind of outlive everything else. There's no one else to take care of them. So they end up in a hospital. So, um, yeah, and if that's, that's fine, that, that, that's okay. But if it's not your plan, then you need to have, take that into account early and not kind of invest in Miami being your all all in too early or forever or too long until it's too late to move so I'm interested since this is your background what your house looks like what have you done in your own home to make it livable as you age well so rather than talk about this home what I'll tell you is we're really in the course of building a new home okay um, yeah so we're um it's the advantage of uh advantage disadvantage as well because it's uh, four hours away so I can't be general contractor for it um, but I've got someone there as general contractor and I said so I will be bringing you some some of I, I essentially have designed all house um, and it really is has all the normal features of a house but it also just has the subtle details of how do you make it livable for everybody and, and all it is is just stepping back and saying well why wouldn't the builders do it this way from the first so, so using the Northeast is a great example of find me a house that has fewer than three steps to get in the front door. Right? They are out there, but not very many. Um, and the reason they do it is people have got used to doing things a certain way. And I, I, I'm an educator, so I say particularly of adults is the number one challenge is I have to, I have, you have to unlearn what you've been brought up with and exposed to for decades because either technology's changed or it just that's not going to work for you in 20 years. So uh, when are you gonna make the change? Is it now or in five years? Or, or are you gonna wait until 
suddenly you're you're out of time and out of options and it'll be a very different change. So so things like a um, tool have a no step entry come in the front door just and essentially that's just grading. We do that with our designs, just landscaped so that um, it's got a smooth transition. So whether it's a you know the, the grandchildren and the and the and the mom and a in a uh, stroller going out the front door, or the kids on a bicycle, or groceries coming in—it it won't matter. It'll all be the same look. Um, we'll have the master bedroom on the main floor. It's a pretty standard thing. Um, we'll have so the extra bedrooms will be upstairs for for guest bedrooms. Um, really try and just think about keep the space open, um, so that if you know, and we'll design all our doorways. So our you know we'll have probably most of the doorways will be a at a 36 inch doorway, 32 inch minimum cost really nothing to do when you particularly in the design phase you pay a lot of money after the fact to do it um you know the the shower will be uh like that's say as a contractor and designer that's all i've ever done is curbless showers so it'll be uh, essentially about a four foot by four foot shower constant flooring throughout so the um the room will be spacious but at the same time room enough for i say when i showers or design them for two people yeah, have fun when you're young and maybe you need help when you're older. Wherever you are in life, it's going to work out uh, well for you. So those are really the, the the main features. And beyond that would be outside to make sure that we've got uh, the ability to move around in the gardens and do things, um, you know, easily at any point in life. So. And how about in the kitchen area? What is kind of the new things coming up for the kitchens? Well, so, so in kitchens, um, not a lot has changed. I would say functionally, the biggest change might have come from the drawer microwave. So that's an example of you press a button. So it's within reach. So I'd say in kitchens, regardless of any age, the microwave is the number one problem. Like you should, you, it's the, the most practical in terms of financially to put it over the stove. That's the last place it should be. Um, reaching over, you know, it's ergonomically, you got to reach further. You're reaching over other things going on, particularly at a gas stove. Um, you can put it into a wall unit potentially, or you can put it in a drawer unit. The idea, I would say, with kitchens happening anyway is try to bring things more into reach. And so you'll see even some of the kitchens now, you make the kitchen bigger by not having all the wall cabinets. And so put more drawers in below. Uh, drawers will hold easily double what a standard cabinet will. So you pay a little more, but you get a lot more value for it from storage. And potentially if it saves you having to put some cabinets up above. So again, you make a small room. How do you make a small room feel bigger? You kind of, you don't know, close everything in so much. So those are the, I would say the main things and design it so that you can, you know, eat at the kitchen at the island if you want and uh, how allow it to grow um, and absorb uh, however many people are using it because in multi-generational housing, which is clearly on the rise, I wrote something about that the other day, um, you want to be planning for multiple generations, perhaps permanently. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to happen, but why not build that flexibility in because you'll use it when you have visitors as well. Yeah. And this is why you're chairman of our board, because you just, I could just sit and listen to you talk about things like this for a while, because I'm really, you know, as physical therapists, we see a lot of accidents happen in kitchens and bathrooms and even just leaving the house. And sometimes it's, you know, one spouse catching the other as they're tumbling down the front steps or not having the right grab rail. So yeah, just planning um, in advance makes a huge difference. We 
and just did a little kitchen remodel here. And I do have the microwave down below in the island, but we raised our cabinets or our countertops a little bit because we're tall people. But I would assume that maybe lowering them might be a better option for people or, or not. I don't know, you tell me. Yeah, so, so we always uh, leverage the, um, the, the power of universal design. Mm. Um, and the nice thing with the universal design is it's designed to be inclusive. So, so you would design a kitchen ideally because you have children in it. So, so say as an adult, I wanna, I wanna have a kitchen that my grandchildren can come and potentially play and if they want. Um, and we're not so tall, but at the same time, you know, others who come. Anyway, the, the idea is you, you can build multiple levels in. So if you're making bread, for example, you want a bread counter to be a lot lower than 36 inches. You probably want it to be down around 30 inches because you, you're leaning over and you want to knead it. Well, not many people need bread anymore, but that doesn't mean you can't do other things at a lower level. There's this notion of everything is set in stone. No, it's really not the case. Um, and depending on what your budget will allow, you, I mean, if you want custom, you can have any height you want. The, the biggest challenge, of course, is when you have people in the home who you know, one is six six and the other is is uh, five feet. Um, how do you allow for that? But the good news is if you do ergonomically from kind of the tips of the fingers to the floor, you discover that gap isn't nearly as wide as what it looks like when you're standing beside each other. Now clearly reaching up, um, yeah, that's that's going to be quite a difference. So uh, yeah, it's it's a it, it's an interesting process for people, but at the same time, if the more time, that's why I always kind of say, the more, the more you can start the process early, the more options you're going to have. And it just applies through everything we talk about, whether, whether we're buying a house, our first house, right? Would you go, would you go buy it the weekend you decided to buy a house? You might, because you're young and, <laughs> and, and a bit naive, but this notion of, yeah, we're not going to grow older. And so we'll put it off making any decisions is about like that's I would say as habits people have um, that's probably one of the most disappointing habits that we have is we put off decisions that we know need to be made and the only one that's going to uh, pay the price for it is us we're we're really not doing ourselves any favors and so we look at the result is a much more reliance on extra help right we fight so hard to keep our what we call independence we turn around and hand it all over because we were so stubborn to to not want to stop and maybe make some uh, some choices uh, five or ten years earlier. Your lips to God's ears, Scott. There you go. There's there's basically senior care in a nutshell, right there. Um, a lot of a, a little bit of planning goes a long way in our. Uh, in our industry. And I mean, you know, you and I are, are relative, not close to each other. I'm up in Boston, you're down in Delaware. But in terms of age of the state, obviously, that kind of corridor is older. And so we're dealing with much older houses than, you know, Tara is out in, in California. Those are newer houses and, and a lot of them uh, may not even have a, a, a basement. Um, that's got to bring its own challenges uh, in, in and of itself when you're dealing with such an old house. Yeah, so, so the bad news for people is uh, that you and I would know this uh, living here is the Northeast is the worst uh, housing in the country. And for reasons that you talked to um, Ryan about the age of the homes, but also this design of, we got stuck in our, our eyes said, this is what the house needs to look like from the street. 
Um, and, and it's unfortunate because uh, I show people, uh, you know, the alternative and they say, oh, I'd really like that. But, you know, but that's not what builders do in my area. And, and it's kind of silly. And it's, it, there's been this tug of war. Why don't builders do it that way? Because you don't ask them to do it that way, right? They're, they're in business. They, they build what people will buy. Their, their job isn't to educate. So I, partly what I do is, is obviously as an educator is, and consulting with people is my main goal is to help you ask better questions, right? You're smart people. You know when, what the right answer is. You sometimes just don't know the right question to ask. And so if I can do a little bit along that road to show you, well, here's some other options to think about. And people will say, oh, I didn't know, but I could do that for sure. But yeah, okay, then we're going to do it. It's so easy once you show them the option, but it's, if you never, if you don't have any visibility to it, then you know, why would we even think to ask the question? And I'm asking that maybe that's what's kind of drawn you into the National Aging in Place Council is that you educate people on proactively planning, which is what our mission is all about education and, and planning for the future. So uh, I'm curious, what did, how did you find out about us and what did ultimately um, bring you over? Um, I think I found out about uh, NEIPC online. I may say I'm, uh, I've always been a researcher, so I'm highly data-driven. So I probably did my, uh, my due diligence of looking to see who the players were in this space to kind of understand the landscape. Um, and, and I think what, you know, I looked at it and realized for, there was an education platform here. People clearly knew what they were doing. Right, versus, uh, unfortunately, most people look to their friends and neighbors for advice who know as little about it as they do. Um, and what they know may, may actually be wrong. Um, and again, that's normal because it just, this is still relatively new to people. Right? We, in 10 years, I'm hoping the landscape of our world in terms of NEIPC will be dramatically different. So yeah, it was a, I think the, the um, the presence, the, uh, the information in terms of education, but also that piece around the opportunity to collaborate. Because as an independent business owner, um, I want to be, like I, I spent time in and out of corporate uh, America, and I always want to come with a team-based solution. So I had a choice of either I hire a crew of a dozen different skill sets and build a company around that, or maybe I just start to collaborate with some people in the industry who already have their own business and their own skill set, And we just, together, we can look at a client and say, what, I had this just before we got on a call. Um, literally another colleague said, oh, you need, to, I need to connect you with Scott Fulton because this is his thing. And, um, you know, and that's how we make it happen, right? And so it's that collaboration, I think, is if we said we did nothing else in NAIPC, um, I think what we do really, really well is collaboration, both at the local, but also at the national level. And there's really nobody like this in the country. And I think it's a really, really unique, um, unique platform um, that we operate on and a really unique uh, opportunity for people to, to, to really bring, uh, I think, inject energy into their own business and also ultimately to help out their clients. And that's, because that's really what we're all here for. Yeah, you are the chairman of our board, also a member in Delaware. 
and Ryan is chair of the Massachusetts chapter. So maybe you could just share a little bit about the collaboration that you guys have up there because you kind of have the same experience of bringing a group of people together up there. Is, was that to was Ryan? That, that was to Ryan, yeah. I don't know if he's on mute. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know who you were asking that question to. Considering Scott is the the guest, I figured I the question kind was of for asking him. you a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, bring it. You know, I'm on the membership as well as the president. Uh, bringing people together is is um, is is a good thing. I think there's a lot of. I think one of the things about senior care is that. 99% of people that find themselves in this industry or have have real ex worldly experiences that have drawn them to the industry. I never thought about senior care in a million years until my mom needed home care and hospice. I just did a one-to-one -one a couple of weeks ago with somebody who was in marketing and PR for years with on the insurance side of things um, for, for commercial and personal insurances. And then her uh, mother got Alzheimer's and and she was a family caregiver for 10 years. And she's like, I am done with insurance. I want to be in senior care. And I was giving her names and numbers of who to call to get into it. And so my point of bringing that up is, is that it's not a huge sell in my eyes to with the NAIPC. People want to collaborate. People want to network. They want to be able to market their business in a uh, way that also helps people. So when I've talked to people, there have been a lot of a lot of interest, and I've been surprised by how uh, how it hasn't been very difficult bringing people together for the networking reasons, and then for the uh, education and, and being a resource to the community. And I have to say, also on a personal level, do you remember those hair club for men commercials? I'm not just a member; I'm also a customer. That's how I feel like with the Aging in Place Council. My mom lives in Atlanta, and we have a very, very active chapter there in Atlanta. And I can't tell you how many times I have used those resources for my mom, for my mom's friends, for other people in her church. So it's great to have something like that personally and also professionally. If you're Kind of in this marketplace. So I'm really excited to see how we're all going to work together in the future. And Scott, you're super, super active on LinkedIn. Um, I think you probably post more than anyone else that I follow. And it's always great stuff. Ryan is always posting little comments too and um, great little blog articles or not blog, yeah, blog articles. So um, it's great to see how it all comes together and, and we can all kind of help each other out from our own personal perspective and also our, our clients. So it's great. Yeah, it's a, um, you know, I think what it does do is it helps us all grow, right? P people want to gravitate to things that are going to challenge them um, and to help them grow. And so if I look at what, what NEIPC is really about, right, is really is about not just growing our business, it's really about growing the opportunities us to be able to be more effective in our communities around the things that we have passion for. It naturally draws people who have passion for their community. That's, you, don't, you don't come into this kind of work unless that's really at the core of what you want to do. I, so I left corporate America because I really, really didn't have a lot of passion for building more chemical plants on the other side of the world, which, which is what I was doing. It was an easy decision. Um, so it's pretty common that, yeah, there's some, some personal experience that people have had. Um, and I think what, what also is important as well, and I try to do this um, 
as well as to try to convey the, the personal experience that people have had. They, you can wait, and a lot of people will wait until they've experienced firsthand. We'll see this, right, of parents who they've, they've seen what's happened to their parents that I don't want to have that happen to me, um, which is clearly that's powerful. It's hard to ignore it, but at the same time, if we can relate that experience through to them earlier in life and realize, you know, I, I don't want to be that parent. My parents did a good job. I want to do an even better job. Um, so what I would say kind of along those lines is maybe from a, uh, the, again, the education piece is we, we've got a challenge with the, I would say the population today is because we're basing our expectations based on what we've seen our parents and grandparents go through. And so we're, we're operating on the assumption that that is going to be the basis for our experience. And so again, as the researcher, what I would tell you is you could not be more wrong. It is going to be so different. We grew up with this big base of boomers around us, right? This massive, massive population of, of of uh, two generations to support the community of older adults that we know today. We're just, just barely heading into an inversion that's gonna happen, that's gonna turn that upside down. And we're suddenly gonna have this huge population of people all aging and this tiny little you know, group of people trying to support them underneath. It's, um, and again, People will learn the hard way, unfortunately, but those who are, that's why I kind of focus more on the proactive side. For those who are proactive and realize that this is coming, they will need to make far better plans than what their parents and grandparents did. Far better plans than their friends and siblings are doing. They're going to have to be more interdependent, right? So we talked about independence uh, leads to isolation interdependence is actually how you preserve your ability to to maintain your housing situation and leverage technology in places that that make sense um, and and keep you engaged and keep you we're going to have to continue to keep on the learning edge all the time like this um, the importance of learning um, for both us in the industry um, both us as as we get older um, we are not going to be able to check out life moves like technology moves far too fast now for anyone to do that. So yeah, it's a, um, it's a, an exciting time given the, given the change. Um, you know, I, I try to provide some healthy you know, reason for people to pay attention and, and a little bit of fear will go a long way. Obviously no one, we don't need to overplay that, but uh, we don't want to get complacent around this. Um, you know, our, our work is, is going to go nowhere, but up. Like there's, there's going to be, the demand is going to come fast and furious, and we're going to be all struggling for resources here pretty soon. So um, anyone who's out there who's, who's wondering about a place to, to form a career, <laughs> and, you, and I certainly get this, uh, as you guys do probably, you know, people come looking for, you know, that they'd like to move into this space. Um, boy, I can't think of a better anchor or to attach yourself to than, than a group like NAIPC because there's, again, you just have that natural support network of people to lean on and to help you get going because that's just the nature of, of the people that we attract, right? They want to they wanna help. 
That's right. So if people are interested in learning more about the National Aging in Place Council, they can go to ageinplace.org, which is our consumer facing site. Or uh, if you're interested in joining and becoming a member, you can go to naipc.memberclicks.net. And we would love to have you join us. We have all sorts of networking events and educational events. We just did one this week on the hidden gems of aging, where we talked about some new products that are changing the face of aging, just make things easier and safer. Um, so it's really exciting, like you said, exciting times to be part of this industry. And um, I think we're probably approached every day by a new company with a new product or something new bringing um, something to the marketplace. So I'm excited to see what the future holds for us. And if someone wants to get a hold of you, Scott, how can they reach you? Oh boy, I wear so many hats. Just you can kind of almost take a shotgun and you're bound to hit one of them. The um, so LinkedIn is, I think, a great place because I think that's a good place to to keep a conversation going, not simply to make a contact. So they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, to my business is Home Ideations. That's homeideations.com. Um, pr pretty easy to find that. And yeah, the, uh, those are kind of the usual place. I'm not a Twitter guy. I'm I, I've never really got uh, too much into that, but yeah, it's a, um, or certainly through any IPC, it, you can find me any number of places I do. Um, I, I, you can tell I, I'm comfortable talking. I do a lot of lectures. I teach the university here, um, but I do a lot online with community groups, um, both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, as well. So it's a, it's a, I, I, it's fun. I got to tell you, I've never had more fun in my career than I'm having right now. Um, and it's a lot of it is because I get to work with uh, with people like you, Tara and Ryan, that um, that really, really care, really care and, and are really good at what they do. And boy, if you know, if we could all have that at any point in our career, <laughs> we would all jump at it. Right. That's uh, it's missing from a lot of careers. So um, that's, I think, one of the bonuses about working in the, the industry that we do. That's true, Ryan. Absolutely. I, I was going to say I totally agree. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to uh, work in a field that you're passionate about that um, you care about. You. It sounds like you were very successful building um, chemical plants halfway across the world, and you probably could have been doing that and made a fine living doing it and and been just fine. But it wasn't scratching the itch of of helping people and giving back, and that's that's kind of uh, the big thing about this. I mean. Um, you know, I have a wall of just notes that people have written me so that like it's up there, not because it's like, oh, I'm so great, but it's when those bad days come where, you know, whether for me a caregiver makes a mistake or something happens in your world where you question why the heck you're doing something, which we've all experienced one way or another, you can go over there and remember like, hey, we've helped a lot of people and and by, by all means, we're doing a net positive even uh, considering when you have the rough days. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's always good to be in, in a growing market. Right? And if you ever, can you find a bigger growing market to be in today than where we are? Right? Mm -hmm. Kind of, kind of business 101, find a growing market. Absolutely. I, I've, I've found that that it's a little off topic, but this, especially the, through COVID, I have been getting 
numerous calls, numerous emails from companies that are trying to acquire and, and facilitate sales of independent home care companies because, you know, it's such a, a market that people want to get into. So um, you're absolutely right. It's a growing market and it will only continue to go. And, and then you have the Generation X, which certainly isn't going to be as big as the boomers, but they're still going to get old and they're still going to need, you know, the wanting to stay at home is not going to go away magically with the boomers switching over to the Generation X being the ones that are in their 60s, 70s and 80s. So um, there's plenty of people that are going to want to need our services because all of us on this call provide some type of level of service or help to keep people in their homes. Well, and as we continue to live longer, um, in terms of more of us live to an older age, if maybe is a more accurate way to put that, um, yeah, the, the it will just become more and more the norm. And so we, we will get better. I think that's why I said earlier, this is relatively new, right? And so that's why we're seeing people kind of stumble um, early. And as, as we go through this, we'll see that no, it actually does make sense to to do some planning earlier and to you know, plan for several eventualities, not not any one in particular. Just plan in a way that keeps uh, options open for us. So. Well, one one question I do have something that just happened that's in Rhode Island and it's it's coming up for um, uh, a it's it's in a proposed law that's going to be um, possibly passed in Massachusetts state government is that there's a, a, a grant that the, the Massachusetts would pay for X amount of dollars, you know, a few thousand dollars or $5,000 of home modifications for seniors to be able to stay in their home. Um, is that something that Delaware does or you're, you're familiar with? Is that, or is that something that doesn't happen? And the reason I bring it up is because you know, the, you're, the government's going to spend money one way or another. Somebody's going to get hurt and they're going to fall and they're going to go into a nursing home, which is the most expensive hospital to a nursing home, to V&A rehab, which is the most expensive way to go about that, that, that money cost, I'm not even speaking correctly, but that's the most expensive way to go. Or you can spend a little bit of money and try to help people stay in their home safely. Um, what, what does Delaware do and, and what are your thoughts on that? Um, so, so I'll maybe just speak a little bit bigger on that if I can. Um, so yeah, it, it, every, everyone knows that the most expensive solution is the one that we're running with today is that they're going to end up in, in publicly, uh, publicly managed facilities. Um, everyone knows it'll be far more um, economically viable to figure out how to keep people in their homes. Um, every state has, I think, something on the books to... Uh, to, to change that, but shockingly, very few have yet to pass them. So I was watching Pennsylvania's one, for example, that uh, I, I've stopped checking in. If it's magically gone forward, that's great. But um, it's always with policy as well. Where's the money going to come from? Right? They they government has a really hard time moving it from this pile to that pile. Right. So it's always well, you know. Uh, I've already got this in place, so now it's got to, I've got to come up with new money. Well, because no one wants to make the, the tough choice of moving it from some one place to another. So, um, yeah, it's a, you know, we've, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on the healthcare side of it, and I would say the pain point isn't high enough yet, um, but it's clear it's coming. I mean, this one is so obvious. 
but again, like everything else, the, the government will be the last ones to make the move. Uh, but no matter what we're talking about, if you're waiting for government, you're, you're then then you're going to be the last one to be able to eat at, at the table. Uh, you're going to have to move uh, in advance, and eventually government will get there. Wait, wait, Scott, are you trying to say that government's inefficient? Are you actually trying to say that they don't move very quickly? I mean, talk about the hot take of the year. <laughs> well, it's it's partly because I spend so much time on the healthcare side because I teach longevity as well. And if I look at um, at what we do on there in terms of health education, I mean, it is, uh, no one does health education in the country. No one has responsible responsibility for health education you kind of think so i guess we shouldn't be too surprised that we're seeing the results that we are in terms of uh, health um, deterioration but nobody else wants to pick it up and do it <laughs> and you know, so whose responsibility is that so yeah it's a we are clearly as a country we are in transition right and it's this has got nothing to do with uh, with a a political view or anything partisan. This is a, this is something that affects us all. We're, we are, our young days, we're kind of in our adolescence, I would say, as, as a country. It's, we're kind of now, at, we're at about age 18, we're saying, okay, we think we know it all, but now suddenly the responsibilities of all of our choices are starting to now pile up on us, and we're realizing these choices aren't easy, and maybe I can make that choice later, and we'll push it off as long as we can, but it, it will happen. It's just a question of, uh, unfortunately, a lot of people get caught up in the um, in, in the process of, of waiting. So, well, I was just going to add to that. I, I did a presentation on on Zoom yesterday, and it was about how COVID's affecting senior care. And one of the the bullet points that I was making is that uh, from the uh, nursing home association, whichever, whether it's America or whichever one it is, they're expecting because of COVID over last year and this year, um, 1800 closures or mergers of nursing homes. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be a net loss of 1800 nursing homes throughout the country. And so, you know, where I'm in Boston and maybe Wilmington with yourself, you might have multiple choices and it's not as inconvenient as it might be, but you go a couple hundred miles to the west of where you're at and where I'm at, it gets rural real quickly. And when you get rid of a nursing home, that might be a nursing home that services a, a, a large county or, or whatever it might be. And um, to your point of we are, um, we are, you know, we are uh, waiting for something and, and to happen. Well, it might get uh, fast tracked because with 1800 nursing homes closing throughout the country, that's going to put a lot of strain on a lot of on the healthcare system that um, is already strained as it is. And so maybe that will unexpectedly be the, 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 uh, the, the way that things maybe start getting moving federally in, in the government. Maybe not, but we'll see. But uh, when I saw that number of 1800 closures, that's a big number when you start, you know, adding that up and dividing that over 50 states. Yeah, skilled nursing facilities play a really strategic role, a really important role, right? That's, no one else does what they do. <laughs> um, you, can, you can decide on what, um, you know, what kind of CCRC you like or you know, what, other, what other kind of independent living you like, but skilled nursing facilities, there, there is no one else, right? And so that means you're putting them back into your home generally, because they're not going to be able to live in these other facilities. They're not set up to handle it. 
Uh, we've seen it happen in mental health and in other sectors. And if that if that's really the way we end up going with uh, senior care, that will be a um, a legacy that will uh, will will not be one that anyone will be very proud of. Well put. Tara, do you That's, have anything else that you'd like to do, talk do, about? Doom and gloom here, sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm to blame. I'm the one that brought it up. But I mean, how it's 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 quite frankly, it's an elephant in the, the, the living room to, to some extent. I mean, not everybody knows about it, but everybody knows nursing homes are in decline. They're they were closing pretty rapidly before COVID. And so what do you think all this bad PR and all the money that's being lost and all, nobody's gonna to wanna to go to a nursing home ever again. So um, it's it's gonna be an interesting, you know, one to three years over the next, you know, from to 2025 for this country and, and senior care and nursing homes. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll take this conversation on a positive note to end it about the governments and working, um, you know, one of the areas that we're forming uh, chapters in Las Vegas and the Las Vegas, the city of Las Vegas and the government there, their Office of Senior Services and HHS and Parks and Recreation, they're all on board to be part of our new chapter and really kind of, we're, we're working on creating some pop-up educational events to let people know what resources are out there. And our guest on the next podcast is Deanna, um, who's on our board and she is the one that's really been instrumental there in kind of bridging the gap between the government and our organization. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it grows and um, hopefully we can replicate that to help seniors um, connect with government and resources throughout the country. So um, we'll see. It's exciting uh, for products. It's exciting for our organization. It's just a, a good time um, to be in the aging services marketplace, I think. So um, with that, I guess we will wrap it up. This has been a great conversation. Every time we do these episodes, we keep getting better and better. So thank you, Scott, for making us a little bit better today. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always good to get with you guys. I think we always, um, there's, there's so much, uh, so much good work that we can do, but it's fun working together. You know, and I think just if I can circle back what your comment there around Las Vegas, I think is one that I've certainly given some some thought to and I think you know as, as one of the things that I can do is be available if anyone in government wants to reach out to kind of make a connect and say is there is there a different approach we could be taking um, you know I think NAIPC is potentially a great resource to to leverage uh, uh, in any community across the country because that's again we're it what <laughs> um, wasn't necessarily how how it got uh, conceived in its early day but I think that's really a place for us to be able to help out so so thank you both for doing this, uh, for getting the message out. And uh, for all the rest of the NARPC members out there, thank you for what you do every day. And uh, anyone who wants to uh, join the party, please um, please step forward and, um, and, and join us. We would, we would love, love to see you. Awesome. Well, that, that's a great way to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. Um, Tara, thank you for being the best co-host in the history of co-hosts. And uh, thank you all to our listeners, our viewers, and we will thank you for listening to Conversations with Tara and Ryan and brought to you by the NAIPC, and we will catch you on the next one. Have a great day. <laughs>